Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. During my college years, I, like many college students, took some time to explore. And one of the things that I explored was faith traditions beyond Christianity. I had grown up in the Presbyterian Church and I felt well nurtured there, but if you can imagine, there were some things that I just didn't like about the institution of the religion. And you know, college is a time to get out there and explore. So in my introduction to world religions class, I found myself in a vast lecture hall surrounded by hundreds of fellow students when they decided to show up. The movie-styled tiered seating allowed this rather anonymous atmosphere. My professor was far below working on his slides. And as we delved into the fundamental principles of Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, Christianity, and Hinduism, I became increasingly aware that there was so much more to explore and to learn. I went on to pursue a major in anthropology and a minor in religious studies and was able to take some more in-depth upper-level courses. There was a class on the history of the indigenous spirituality in the Americas another where I dove into women in the Bible, and I'll never forget the visiting professor from Botswana's class called Religion on the Continent of Africa. I admit that the specific content of those courses and the impressions even from the professors mostly have faded from my memory. There's probably a box in my mom's basement somewhere that could help me recollect. But there is one discussion-based class that I remember quite clearly because it changed some of my trajectory. The course was on gender and Buddhism, and it was led by a haggard yet knowledgeable graduate student who, what I remember mostly, had gray hair. She had gray hair and good connections to Buddhist monasteries. We'd see her walking around the grounds with her friends in flowing orange robes. And it was a good class. Throughout the series, we engaged with a range of texts, primary sources, and then the interpretive books that were written on those. And as an upper-level course, we were able to go in depth beyond those essential tenets, the five points that I learned at the introductory level, and to move into the rich history of Buddhism and some of the more intricate theology. And it became evident to me that Buddhism was far from a static set of beliefs 
that it was a faith that moved and breathed and looked different in one place than it did in another. It revealed itself as a multifaceted approach to life and depth. There were theological debates, historical complexities, and transformations according to context. So I was hooked and I was primed to fall in love. I'd done a little bit of yoga after all. And as I mentioned earlier, I had some reservations about the Christianity that I'd grown up with, particularly, and this won't come as a surprise to you, the treatment of, of women who were yearning to be in leadership. So this Eastern tradition at face value, it appeared to present a more egalitarian alternative to what had been detrimental dogmas of the Western world. And I was captivated by the idea of enlightenment. This promise of Buddhist practice open to all to transcend and to transform. You all are probably already familiar with this concept and some of you I think probably know more. So no disclaimer that my definition is going to be lacking somehow, but here is my brief description if you're just learning about it. This Buddhist idea of nirvana, it's not a physical place, it's not a heavenly realm, but it's the ultimate goal and highest state of liberation. It's described as a cessation of craving, ignorance, and attachment, right? So it's ultimately liberation, the realization of the true nature of reality, the attainment of perfect wisdom and compassion, and the release from suffering. Peace, bliss, clarity, love, sign me up, right? What I was clear about was that this teaching was something new. My Christian tradition did not really have an idea like nirvana. Any promise of liberation was much more future-oriented and less actualized, meaning we had hope in eternal life. We knew that the kingdom of God was more, but that it was still yet to come. And then instead of our leader modeling freedom from suffering, Christianity, as we know, approaching the season of Lent, had our leader modeling painful death on the cross of Calvary as the path to forgiveness for sin. Now, I know these are oversimplifications of important and complex doctrines, but remember, I was a college kid and in those early days, I saw stark contrast, and I was clear on which one I thought sounded best. So I dabbled in mindfulness, tried out meditation, already mentioned I'd done a couple yoga classes. I dutifully read the primary source material, but the deeper we got into the topic, the more I realized that Buddhism, even with its generous teachings, had same old issues as the institutions I was running from. Buddhism 
had not been a particularly pleasant place for women through the years either. Our teacher was good to show us this underbelly too. Leaders had systematically denied women's access to power and leadership. Gross sexual misconduct and abuse had been supported by manipulated theological texts. Inequality and discrimination were institutionalized despite the doctrines of universal dignity. So as these truths unfolded, my infatuation with Buddhism ended. I decided to stick with the devil I knew. That is a joke, yes. But I did return to Christianity with a renewed realism about the inevitability of mistakes made by institutions, right? And the reality that there is pain in the world. But this, this renewed realism, it led me to a deeper appreciation for the teachings of Christianity. Because instead of an escape from suffering, Jesus asks us to be present. Jesus says there will be pain. Our spiritual pathways in Christianity are not about turning away loosening attachment, but instead opening our eyes and seeing those who are struggling enter the masses, touch and heal. The promise of our faith is not that grief goes away, but that God goes with us there, even into the depths of despair, even into death, and I don't know everything about world religions, newsflash. I don't even know everything about Christianity. But this, to me, is still the witness that is unique to our faith among the world's traditions, that God would humble God's self, that the divine would enter our world to walk with us in our flesh to and through the end. It's different. This particular promise is made clear in our text for today. The transfiguration is what we call the passage that I read this morning, and we hear it every year on Transfiguration Sunday. You may not have this marked already in your calendar for 2025, but it will be there. We at Covenant, like many other Presbyterian churches, follow something called the Revised Common Lectionary. And that means preachers get four texts to choose from each Sunday, and that we follow a calendar that walks us through the church year. Now, there are complaints about the Revised Common Lectionary because the powers that be pick the texts and they skip some ones that we might think are important. I, for one, have a petition out to change Christ the King Sunday to Christ the Coat Sunday. I believe that metaphor has more power for us in this world. Let me know if you want to sign it. But the lectionary does keep us attuned to those important texts, the birth of Christ every year, the hope that's offered in the prophets, Holy Week, we cannot turn away 
from the death of Christ on the cross. And then, to get us ready for that journey, each year, the Sunday before the beginning of Lent, we hear Jesus goes high up on the mountain and transforms and transcends. This, friends, I believe, is the closest we get in the Christian faith to nirvana, which is probably why it shows up every year. Jesus and his disciples, they've been out teaching and healing on the dusty roads, and Jesus moves them high up into the hills. And in an amazing experience, Jesus turns dazzling, blindingly white. And the great prophets, Moses and Elijah, they appear beside him to talk. And then a cloud overshadows. It takes over the whole mountain, and a voice sounds clearly, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. Peter, the disciple in Mark, who's always getting it wrong, has a moment to do that again here. And in amazement and awe, he reaches out to capture the promise that's before him. Let me live here, he says. In this moment of great power and glory and goodness, when we are high on the mountain and the world has slipped away, let us make three tents to anchor us here in this transcendent moment of transformation and grace. But Jesus says, no, we're going back down the mountain. Come on. In all of Mark's gospel, the term beloved, which we just heard, it's only used three times. That's it, three times, beloved. Once in the baptismal account, and I'm guessing the uh, voice from the cloud sounded familiar to you today from that baptismal account that we preached on not long ago. So it's there and it's here, and then once again. A parable of the vineyard in chapter 12. Jesus' parables are always confusing, <laughs> I think. And this one is too. In this parable in chapter 12, Jesus tells the story of a distant landowner who leases his vineyard to some tenants. And the landowner decides to send some of his slaves back to check in. The tenants receive the slaves by killing them, seizing them, beating them. The violence only increases each time the landlord sends someone to the tenants. The only thing left to do, the landlord believes, is to send the beloved, the landowner's own son. Now, surely, he thinks, they will have to respect him because of his status and his position, and then finally, they will listen to me. But, as the story goes, the beloved 
is not listened to, but rather beaten and tossed out and killed. It's a prediction of what is to come in Jerusalem for Jesus right after Jesus acts up in the temple right before he enters Holy Week. We hear this story that the beloved son will be on his way to his death. And we hear this language again, even at our highest point, (laughs) even on the mountain, when we hope to transcend, the voice of the Lord says, this is my beloved, listen to him. Jesus says, We can't stay here. Mita Stamper is a theologian who's not particularly well-known. She grew up in Atlanta. She lived in Australia. And I believe she has written just this one book. It's called Embodying Mark. And she dives deep into the whole gospel. And this is what she says, and I think it's profound, about the passage that we just read. If we listen, if we listen to the beloved, if we listen to Jesus like the voice in the cloud commands, this is what we hear over and over again. To be God's beloved means to be sent down from the shining glory of the mountaintop into a suffering world to bring God near. See how different that is? And it's what I came to appreciate about Christianity from my time with other religions, that even in the language from our highest mountaintops, our faith asks us to move back down into the world, to get in the way of oppression and violence and injustice, to wade into the waves of pain and suffering and grief, Because, after all, the pathway of Christian discipleship promises us, and we have faith in the fact that we do not go alone. To God be the glory, time without end. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.